It's whatever you want to make it. So if you're going to stay home and say something can't be done, it's not going to get done. It can't be done. You're saying it can't be done. You're putting that out into the universe. You have already put that obstacle in front of you. And now everyone else is going to throw their obstacles in front of you too because of what they perceive and how you're going to perceive yourself. Ooh, I gotta go. I've been working, so them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this game. Now my fan they can't eat. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cup of Nurses show. Here with your hosts. Peter and Matt, two nurses on a mission to change this world, one conversation at a time. So let's jump right into it. If you find value in this show and want to join us on this mission, please share and review the show. It would mean absolutely everything to us. Cupofnurses.com for the latest info, updates, and latest merch releases. For our lifestyle podcast, you can check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com. The show begin. In this episode, we would like to introduce you to Andrea Dalzell, also known as the seated nurse. She studied biology and neuroscience while earning her bachelor's degree in nursing. She is now a master's degree graduate in pursuit of her nurse practitioner license. Andrea was diagnosed with transverse myelitis at the age of five and began using a wheelchair full-time at the age of 12. She is an advocate and inspiration to many nurses. We talk about her battle with adversity and her freedom of access. Welcome back, Andrea. Thank you so much for being here once again. We love having you on. Can you give us a little bit of a refresher on your background and who you are? Yes, of course. My name is Andrea. I am known as the seated nurse affectionately. I am the first nurse in New York State to go through nursing school using a wheelchair and then the first nurse nationwide to be working in the ICU during the heat of the pandemic here in New York. Mm. Andrea, before we start the show, we're talking about your nonprofit. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I started a whole nonprofit. For those of you who have seen me on Good Morning America, you guys know that my three my three things as they asked me questions was to go back to school, uh, to give back to my community, and to start my own nonprofit. Well, I started my own nonprofit called The Seated Position, and I have partnered up with the Access Project here in New York City to open up a fully accessible gym which allows for individuals with spinal cord injury or illness or any type of disability to come into a spot that has completely accessible gym equipment. They have access to OT, PT, and gym trainers to be able to get active and stay healthy. That's amazing. And how has it been like in a nursing profession with accessibility? Was that one of your biggest struggles when it came to nursing school and working in the ICU? Yeah, I think my biggest struggle was more about the bias against my disability rather than just saying we can give her a chance, right? So, yeah, and no, like, cool. Nursing school was something that was difficult to get through, but nursing in self, the profession, is a whole different ballgame. We are dealing with, like, a bias on a different level. And what I constantly don't understand is as we as nurses are caring for these patients, they're getting better they're coming back to us as nurses why aren't we hiring them like we healed them we made this happen like we should be proud of our work and let them come back into our profession to help us do what we do and and they want to be here and yet 
because of a disability or because of something that's either visible or invisible, we're saying, oh, we're going to close the door. We don't know if you can come in. That's not okay. Yeah. And Andrew, how was life for you growing up? I want to touch a little bit, if you can reflect, uh, how was your support system? What did, what did you struggle with? How did you overcome that adversity? Yeah, so my parents are immigrants. They they came to America when they were young. They had me. I'm the first born American uh, for my family. And for them, having a child with a disability here, they were so afraid that something will happen to me. So they they made sure that they put up all of these like barriers and like protective things. And I rebelled against it all. I wanted to just do my own thing. I think that really comes from a stigma like you know we have this stigma we put onto somebody and I never wanted to be under someone else's assumption of what I can and can't do so I literally fought my way through I think I told you guys before about me uh getting off the bus and like hightailing it away from the school because I didn't want them to like try to push me into the, the school building and when I came back to school I, I I got like a full day suspension because I wasn't supposed to leave the school um I'm supposed to get off the bus and go into the school because I have a disability because my disability made it a liability they were like oh no 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 so to teach me a lesson they were like you're on day suspension I was like great no classes it's wonderful (laughs) (laughs) so but yeah I I rebelled I rebelled a lot to get where I am and and I guess that's what kind of allowed me to be so outspoken was I rebelled against my parents and they gave me what I wanted at the end of the day and I proved them that I can prove to them that I can do it. So, Hey, and you're doing it again and again and then again. Yeah. Right. When did you find your voice or was there a specific event scenario that happened in your life? I know you mentioned something about life, liberty, and the pursuit of access. When did you first begin to embody this voice? Yeah. So Back in 2005, I was crowned Miss Wiltshire, New York, 2015. And it sounds really glamorous, like Miss Wiltshire, New York, like it's a pageant. But it's really built around advocacy and and promoting uh, a platform that helps the disability community move forward. And that tagline, life, liberty, and the pursuit of access is straight from our constitution, right? The pursuit of happiness here in the United States is like, to have land, to be able to have freedoms to do whatever it is that you need to be able to do to survive and live. And if things aren't accessible, how are we going to do that? So that's what I really built my platform around during my advocacy years as Miss Wilson, New York, and talking about particularly housing. You know, as nurses, we talk about aging in place. We talk about what it's going to look like for someone to be 90 years old living we, we don't want the rugs on the floor. We got to like hide the cords, put things up. We want people to be safe. But what about just access, simple access, being able to stay in your home, not be put in a nursing home because your home is inaccessible or you fall, you break a leg and you live up three floors, walk up floors. I live in New York City. How are you going to do that? You know, we need to have those discussions. So it's kind of what I focused on with life, liberty, in the pursuit of access for people with disabilities, particularly getting them out of nursing homes and into their own turnkey home, ready to go set up for them. And it's it's possible and it's out there. I, I love how you mentioned that because it seems like when you say the pursuit of access, there's a quality of life that we can have no matter what are we struggling with. And it seems like that quality of life is taken away from that sector technically with the disability disabled people because they don't have the same access. So I love what you're 
advocating for because we could all have that same quality of life. It's just we just need equal freedom to have that accessibility. What are, what are some of those biases that you are experiencing? Because you were mentioning healthcare, there's a lot of biases. Can you uh, briefly touch about that? Yeah, so like right before we hopped into this conversation, we were kind of talking about it, right? So for all the listeners, I think it's really important to understand that as we as nurses or in those of us in healthcare that are listening, we care for the patients that are coming through the door, right? At their, at their most vulnerable, their sickest moments. And we're the ones that are with them more time than any provider is. So why aren't we taking credit for the work that we're doing? Meaning that we are literally healing these patients. These patients are leaving our care. They're going back out into the community. They're learning how to be nurses themselves. They, they pass their boards, they come back, they wanna join the profession. But if they have an invisible or visible disability, at the gate, we're saying, we don't know if you can be in this profession. We don't know if you can be bedside. We don't know if you can do this. We put up all of these barriers because of what we believe someone can or can't do based on our perception that we put onto someone. But again, if we're caring for them and they're, they're thriving after our care just differently, why are we saying no? We should be opening doors and saying, yes, come in. I, we know how to do this. We cared for you. So now come back to the profession and you get to care for other people as well as helping our profession stay a team. And that's not what's happening because we have this bias. We have this perception against change or against what's not normal. But disability is more normal than anything else. With the pursuit of access, what's, so how do you, first of all, how'd you get that, that started and how do you make it come to fruition? Is it like a financial thing? Is it like, do you need laws to get passed? How does that all work? How do you move forward with that? Well, you need to talk to talk to your senators. Like this is going to come back down to policy work and making sure that developers and those that are in the housing industry understand what the healthcare industry is seeing and having to come back. When these industries work together, we see how how fast paced we can move forward. Look at technology and how fast paced we've been able to move through healthcare. But yeah, there's always this overlying policy that like strangles either the business or it strangles the profession. Right now we're in in that sense where both sides are being strangled. So the businesses aren't making the money they want to be able to make, neither is the profession and therefore the middle person or the end user, the consumer is feeling the effects of this. So we need to be talking not only amongst ourselves about what's actually happening, especially our community nurses that know what's happening out there. The, the nurses that are going into the homes and seeing what's happening um, those that are talking about Medicaid and Medicare and doing that work particularly should be talking to senators and policymakers about exactly what they're seeing so that those that are in policy can actually make policy based on current event versus word of mouth. In the past few years that you've been working as a nurse and everything, given your situation, have you noticed any change in the workplace environment or has it become less or more diverse do, do you see positive change moving forward i think right now we're seeing a wave of positivity and a ways of way a wave of positive change uh happening not only in the hospital systems just on social media and this cry to say listen to us see us as a profession respect us know our value think that we're worthy and then the same aspect is going towards patients right patients are also saying we're fed up we want 
we want more. We want to be able to to obtain more and get more out of our healthcare and not be feeling as though we can't even obtain the most basics to survive. So, yeah. <laughs> what are some of the advice that you could give to uh, to people to help them overcome this adversity, like any kind of disabilities or any kind of issues that they have? Um, how did you get past it? And what are some tips that maybe you learned through life or some tips that you could offer to individuals that are maybe a little bit closed off or are closing themselves off from like a regular lifestyle? So I, I that's a really big question, first of all. <laughs> so we're going to break this one down. <laughs> Let's break it down from the end and then we'll go through the rest of it. So for someone who is facing a life-changing obstacle, uh, I think what really helps us as human beings is to be able to see what our worst fears could possibly lead to, right? When we see it, it represents where we could be in that space and we kind of just have a notion for it and we can get through it once we see ourselves in that. Now think about representation. Where in media representation are you seeing people with disabilities or openly discussing their disability if it's invisible? very rare are you seeing this it's not in movies it's not on like your average tv shows you're not seeing these people like infiltrate different professions or being allowed to even access higher education so you're not going to see them if you're not going to see it then how are you going to be able to face any type of obstacle yourself if you believe that let's say we're all perfectly healthy and then something happens and now you're not walking or now you you have this chronic illness and you get a new diagnosis how are you going to navigate that you know no one else besides you and what doctors are telling you again no representation you can't just turn on a tv show oh i watched this tv show the other day and it's a whole four seasons and there's characters that have this particular chronic illness that's not a come on netflix come on hulu like can we come up with something so that everyday human beings don't feel like normal is being able to walk around and be quote unquote normal that's not normal we know that so yeah that's one half of that now if you're thinking about everything else to be able to for to pursue the life that you want that quality of life that we put over ourselves it's whatever you want to make it so if you're going to stay home and say something can't be done it's not going to get done it can't be done you're saying it can't be done you're putting that out into the universe you have already put that obstacle in front of you and now everyone else is going to throw their obstacles in front of you too because of what they perceive and how you're going to perceive yourself so you kind of have to say one step at a time whatever I can get through today and if today is the hardest day then tomorrow is going to be better and if tomorrow is the hardest day and it was harder than today then you look how strong you've gotten to be able to get through something harder and you have to give yourself credit because Again, we're not made in a world that was made for us. And even if you acquire disability, acquire illness, acquire diagnosis, it doesn't matter. The world wasn't made for you to, to live your life despite that. So access needs to be universal. And now you have a reason to speak up amongst a billion other people around the world. Yeah. And you mentioned fear in, in the beginning of, of your statement. So what are some of your fears or some of your past fears that, that, that were hard to get over? And how did you overcome those fears? Oh, man, I think, I think my fear evolves over time. At first, I was afraid to get into nursing school. You know, it took me a year to actually submit my application to just apply to a class. Uh, you know, and then for me, my fear was graduating. 
okay, what's going to happen when I graduate? Then my fear was passing the boards. Everyone's fear is passing the boards, right? Or in nursing, it's passing the boards. How do you get through this, the NCLEX? And then after that, it's finding a job and then finding a job you like. There's always going to be something that you're fearful of doing. Uh, but are you going to allow fear to stunt your growth? Are you going to allow fear to, to dictate what you can and can't do in life? Because that's literally what you're doing. You're saying, if I'm too afraid, I'm not going to do it. And fear kind of encourages bravery and gives you the sense of courage to be able to face something that's different. And all of this, this whole conversation is really tying into itself because again, bias can can literally be in your own fear of what could potentially happen to you and therefore you think you can't do it so you project that onto someone else and then they can't do it and that's the same thing like you're projecting onto yourself that you can't do something you're too afraid to do something you're never going to take that first step you're never going to try to level up or do something well yeah it, it all stems down to beliefs just like you said because the people that created the law say hey i have this belief this is not possible therefore it is not and you're just saying no this is possible and you're just paving your own way which is which is amazing how was it applying to nursing school or let's just let's just talk about your first position did you have any roadblocks there when you had to maybe send your resume or during an interview of the condition that you're in and were they accepting accepting of it my first job ever was a camp health director that sounds really fancy for saying that you are a camp nurse and you are responsible for every boo-boo, bug, tick, bite, scrape, all of that. So, and I was working with a respite camp. So for me, it was right up my alley. I already knew the population I was working with and the camp itself loved the fact that I had a disability. So it was like perfect, perfect scenario for me. However, uh, I got my nursing license in New York. So New York state rules and regulations completely different than where I got my first job in New Jersey. Applied for my Jersey license, got that. However, the rules and regulations, like I said, are completely different. So every single day, I thought that I was putting my license in jeopardy. So because, you know, that's the they drill that into us, like protect your license, know what you wouldn't do, hold true to your morals and your ethics. And my ethics and morals around nursing was built in New York City, which was like, no one else gives this med, meds fall on the floor, you throw it out, like, this is how this works. And I'm a camp nurse where things are going to fall on the floor, and you're not going to have extras and things are happening. And I'm like, losing my mind thinking I'm going to lose my license because somebody's going to report me. <laughs> that wasn't the case. <laughs> but, you know, we got through it. And I think, again, I, at that point in time, I was applying everywhere I was applying within New Jersey Pennsylvania New York to just get a job I just needed to start paying back my student loans so my first job was was very lucky lucky hit and it shouldn't be lucky right it you should have that accessibility to that profession which is something that we're, we're working on to change exactly like I, I'm mentoring a young lady now who's going to school uh, in Florida and even just getting her into the program, like having meetings with with their faculty and trying to get them to understand that having someone with a disability is beneficial because now that whole nursing cohort is going to watch this student thrive, be there for this student, graduate, 
with this student and now that student's going to meet among that cohort within the profession and then that that cohort's going to disseminate and say to people oh I went to school with a nurse in a chair and this is what I saw and this is how they're able to do it it continues the conversation people are intrigued so but the barrier shouldn't be just getting in the door why are we putting that barrier there like we we need nurses now and we have a bunch of barriers up now let alone for someone with a disability everyone has a disability and if you don't have one yet it will happen <laughs> so you're coaching a, a, f- a future nurse that, w- that what you're saying so do you coach yes. do you coach multiple um people or just are you just focused on as one individual right now i have three individuals three. that's what my time can allow <laughs> i wish i could do for everyone but right now it's three individuals yes so is there something that maybe they all have in common that, that they struggle with I think that the biggest struggle, again, is going to come down to just bias and not being able to be given the chance at first, right? So when you first see them or when I'm first into a meeting with their faculty advisors or anyone else, well, someone can't, they can't stand, how are they going to do X, Y, and Z? Well, tell me the difference between standing and sitting down for 12 hours. One is using way more muscle and it's going to exert way more energy. And one is already primed to sit down for over 12 hours because that's what the position of their body knows. When you think about the difference, it's really going to be a height adjustment. How, how low can beds go? All beds right now, as far as I've seen here in the United States, here in New York, they get pretty low. So I can have leverage over my patient when I'm doing CPR. I don't need to be standing up. Better yet, I can lock in place. I can lock in place and not move. That means if I'm transferring a patient from bed to chair, that the something moves, my chair is not moving, something happens, that patient can lean on me and get down to the floor okay versus having a fall or anything else. What about taking down a, a standing nurse? So a lot of our own concerns revolve around our wheelchair, but our wheelchair is actually helping us versus someone who's standing, worried about a patient that may fall on them, picking up too much weight, getting injured from body mechanics there's a difference happening here so our conversation between the three of us is always around okay how are you going to hold sterility how are you going to be in this situation if you have a patient on the toilet and you need to move them like you know and you can't leave how are you thinking about your scenarios as you're going into these rooms beforehand and the reason why is because we're thinking 40 steps ahead should we ever be in a position to get hurt how do we get out of it and how do we make sure that we've covered ourselves to to get a colleague, to have our devices on to be able to page for help? Where's the code blue button on, on? So when you set your rooms for the night, your bed is moved out of the way so you can touch a code blue button, right? Or you have a, a stick to be able to hit it quickly that you can easily put on your chair. But when you talk about this to someone who doesn't understand disability, it sounds like a lot. It sounds like too much is happening and you don't want to be bothered with it. So you kind of just say, no, we can't help you or no, you can't be here with us. Instead of just taking the time to listen and learn how to do something differently. Yeah, that, that's that's crazy how, you know, you have, you put like a little bit of resistance in front of somebody and how easily is it is for them to like avoid it. Because now like you're explaining to me how you could adjust everything to, to fit your needs or fit somebody else's needs. And it's just like mind blowing how this is not, not being done more common because you make it sound sound so so simple. But it is. We just make things so complicated. We, we, we take out the understanding that life still happens 
after a diagnosis, an injury, and illness. It still happens. Even my ICU nurses, right? And shout out to all of them because that is some hard work. I did it during the pandemic. I know and I, and I understand. When your patients are coming in with any type of new diagnosis in the ICU and they graduate out of the ICU and now they're on the floor, your care helped get them there. Now they're on the floor and they're with the, the med surge nurses, OT, PT. They go out to rehab. They do the same. These people are going to be the most strongest mindset because they've already seen their worst days. And in their worst days, they've seen the most hopeful individuals up there trying to help them get through the next moment of life. So you're learning compassion. You're learning bravery. You're learning adversity. You're learning how to, to problem think and, and problem solve and figure out what life looks like. And again, remember what I said, if we don't have representation of what, where we would look like in that situation, we're always just going to think the negative. So think about all the hospital shows, Grey's Anatomy, New Amsterdam, all these new diagnoses come out and it's like a death sentence. Life is over. Can't move on anymore. There's no happy living, no life, no person going home to their family and everything is okay. It's not, it becomes a death sentence. So everything we think about disability and everything we think about a diagnosis is just a death sentence. I'm sorry, your diagnosis is not, your life is now, I'm so sorry. How many times have we said that as, as nurses to say to someone after, I'm so sorry. What are you sorry for? You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Stop saying that. <laughs> like you didn't, you did not do that. It's like, you're sorry for the situation. You're sorry for the person. What are you saying sorry for? It's actually kind of demeaning. Don't do that. Turn around and be like, how can I best help you? Tell me how to best provide you with what you need. And change it, changes the conversation. I have to ask you this question. Have you have you ever felt uh, like the feelings of maybe somebody looking down at you because of, of the way you are as a person? Do you ever get those kind of feelings? I have, especially when I was going through uh, like the interviewing process. For those of you who don't know, I went through 76 interviews to try to land a clinical position. And I didn't land a clinical position until COVID hit New York. Uh, and the, so... Going through those 76 interviews, even post that, but let's start with there. Uh, it was always this, I, I can remember one particular story. I rolled into interview to be a dialysis nurse, peritoneal dialysis, which is the abdomen. I can get to it. This is great. I can hang something up. Like I know I'll be able to do this job. And I, I get to the office and the first thing, the person introducing me to the person I'm interviewing with, I was outside the door, they were inside and they say, oh, she's in a wheelchair. And the first thing he says is in a wheelchair, how could she be a nurse in a wheelchair? Damn. Okay. That's the, the I, I have, you have not seen me, you haven't met me, but okay, fine. We go into this interview and he's just, so tell me about yourself and oh yeah, this is how you can do that. That's cool. Um, well, what would you do in this emergency situation? And it's kind of throwing me all of these questions to see what my thought process is instead of just asking me about my skill set, instead of asking me about why I would be a good fit for the team. You were more worried about what, you know, my capabilities were versus not. And that was an instant moment that I knew, like, you know, this is just not, it's going to be hard. I'm rolling into a room 
I'm not walking into a room and I can hide my disability, which is probably even harder because you have to speak up and say you have something versus my disability is forward facing and you see it. You can fight it in both angles. And I think it's really hard to be around someone who's thinking so negatively about disability while you're trying to just keep positive and hope that you're giving your given the best shot that you can get. And that's transition. That's not only within the working place, right? So even in the world, sometimes people are seeing me and just thinking, oh, good for you. Or like, you know, it's a very demeaning uh, thought process just because my I'm sitting in a chair. But I mean, look at how much I've accomplished already. I've gotten through nursing school. I'm the first in New York State. You don't know my story. We look at each other every day. We don't we don't know each other's stories like that, but we assume we know. And and we don't catch ourselves and check ourselves and hold ourselves accountable for that type of thinking. And it spreads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very demoralizing. So is it just your mental willpower that gets you past those kind of situations? Or is it just, just kind of repetition? Do you try to focus on it? Do you try to maybe prove somebody to somebody that, that you can do things better? How do you get past it, like that, that demoralization that you went through? So... Uh... I love when someone tells me no, because it's like lighting the the firecracker, like you're saying no, and you're just constantly ablaze. And at some point, I'm just going to blow and I'm just going to get it done. And I'm going to show you because like, I get to prove a point. So nothing drives me more than having to prove a point, especially my own point. (laughs) That's a little, uh, it's a little selfie, but, (laughs) but for me, that's how it works. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I need to be able to be positive about my own outlook because again if I allow someone to dictate what my life is supposed to look like then my life is going to look like theirs and if it's if they're thinking that it's going to be bad because I'm a disability then I'm it's going to be a sucky life because no one's doing anything to promote what I want to be able to do you're just putting your bias onto me so yeah I think you have to have this very strong mindset not toxic positivity mindset just strong mindset Things are not going to work out the way you want them to when you want them to. And you know that things are going to, when you want the best, something is going to definitely happen and you have to know how to go with the flow. So give yourself grace, right? Something bad happens. You're like, okay, it happened. I can get through it. And you give yourself this time to get through it. Um, I never overcame any obstacles. I literally work through them every single day and every single day is different. I love it. It seems like there's two core values I could pick off from this interview that's very powerful. One is courage, right? Being just fearless, getting after. And the second one is acceptance and learning to overcome your obstacles and then finding meaning in your obstacles when you hit that roadblock and seeing, hey, what is this teaching me? How can I go about it and continue using courage to move forward? With with all the people you've interacted with and press, have you seen similar success stories with the situation you went through, maybe this could be in a different profession or it could be in nursing for people that role. Yeah, so we're starting to see that narrative shift. I mean, but again, it go, it teeter taters, right? Right now we're coming off of a two-year pandemic where so many people were able to, to engage with disability in a way that they weren't able to engage before. So throughout my press, meeting people, being able to talk about it, it definitely moved the mark. People are talking more about disability. We're, we're having those conversations, but we're not where we need to be, especially in 2022. I think that when we're moving forward and we're really thinking about 
what life looks like and how we want life to be, even as a nurse or as someone in a different profession, we're constantly still battling about what that looks like. Even for for people without disabilities, you guys are battling for what life is going to look like because we're all tired and burnt right now. We're all thinking about what is the next what is the next move for ourselves that benefits not only ourselves but our families and what we want for the future. So for people with disabilities in particular, those that I'm mentoring, those that I have been around and those that are in the nursing profession, I'm seeing more of them actually have a voice as well, saying, you know, this is how I want to see my life. Don't put on any stigmas onto me. Just help me get where I want to go. And people are actually listening and saying, okay, how can we best help you get there? You both mentioned acceptance. So my question to you is, was there a point in your life or a time in your life where you weren't accepted of yourself? Because we all go through these phases of where we want to be accepted. And you having the life that you have, you look at people and you know you're different than everybody else physically. So was there a point in your life where you were kind of struggling with acceptance? I know you acted out a lot in, in, your, in your younger years. But was there maybe a... Sh- a shift in you not being able to accept yourself and then finally realizing that, hey, I am who I am and this is going to be me, so let's move forward. Yeah, so a little a little fact about me is I've had over 33 surgeries. I think we're at like 38 right now as of like two years ago. And every new scar, I hated myself. Every new new diagnosis, new new appointment, I hated myself even more. Uh, in 2012, uh, I was at my lowest point in my depression. I literally was like, I'm not going back to school. I don't know what's the point of me being in school if I'm just going to face all of these uh, obstacles. I didn't want to be a social worker. I didn't want to be a a psychiatrist or a psychologist. That's what they were telling me that I would have to do as a person in a chair. Like I needed a desk job. I needed something that didn't give me um, too much uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Too much like activity. Like I needed to stay calm and, you know, you have a disability, you shouldn't overexert yourself. And I took that to heart and I hated my life. When I mean hated life, I was at that point where I was like, what is the point of living with a disability if this is what life is? It was so depressing. Um, and then I met someone else with a disability who was extremely successful here in New York. And his words to me were, well, if you're going to live this sucky life, how are you going to make it better? Like, how do you make it better for yourself? How do you find what can make you happy? I was like, I don't know. Like, nothing's going to make me happy. Nothing's successful. Nothing's anywhere. And he's like, well, if you have that mindset, you'll never find anything because everything's going to be inaccessible. Again, mindset. And I was like, well, then I can I can figure out school. He's like, well, that's your first step. Go back to school. Aren't all schools accessible? And I was like, I don't know. And they were, you know, for basics, they're all, they usually are accessible, but then I wanted to study biology and I wanted to be a doctor and they were telling me I can't be. And I'm like, here, here we go again. And then I graduate with a biology degree and bio and a neuroscience degree, then decide to go back for nursing school. I can't be a nurse. I've never seen a nurse with a disability. It takes me a year to submit an application um, because I've never seen a nurse with a disability. I have no no concept of what that looks like and then being told all of these things that I would need to be able to do and can't do them and therefore I'm like negatively looking at myself again and again I'm taking everyone else's biases and everyone else's um, perception 
of what I can and can't do and letting it lay on me. Like society lets it lay on people about their, their, their illnesses. And it's like, you have to find your own voice at some point and say enough, like, this is my yes, this is what I want. And if you're going to keep telling me, no, I'm going to find someone else. And there are more than a billion people in this world. And if you think about a billion people, you can ask a million people and probably still get a million no's and it'll take that one person to say yes. And you have to believe that for yourself first before you can find someone else that will be able to say, yes, I can be there with you and help you get through this and navigate this world. Yeah. Yeah, that's so so intense because life gives you this deck of cards where where physically you're, you're different and then you have all these societal and peer pressures even putting further limit limits on you. So that's like just a crazy concept to grasp. I never even thought about that because like you were saying, people told you what you can and can be. It's just like, mm-hmm. how's that, how is that possible? How can somebody tell me what I cannot, can and cannot be? That's, that's just well, mind-blowing. that's because you can stand up and walk around and I'm rolling on wheels. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> like, yeah. Like, again, it's just mm-hmm. the visual perception of what normal is. Normal is not just being able to walk around. That's just one aspect of it right? One aspect of my normal is to be able to roll around. I don't need to stand up. My normal revolves around staying. There is no concept of normal. Normal does not exist. And if that's one thing that I can drive home today is that we need to erase what we think normal is. There are 1.8 billion people around the world that live with a disability. It is the fastest and largest growing minority in the world. Anyone at any given point in time from any religion, any gender, anything can have a disability. So why are we so focused on people just having a quote-unquote normal life? What does that mean? There is no such thing because everyone's life is going to be tailored to them, to what they needs are, what they're going to need to get through life. If they need an elevator, if they need a scooter, if they need crutches, if they need um, a mechanical limb, if they need a hearing aid, that's all normal. Yeah, I think our perception of normal has been skewed, even social conditioning and in our culture where you're 24, you have to find somebody, you have to get married, you need kids, you got to buy a house and that cycle and that's normal. And if you don't have it, you're comparing yourself, you feel in lack and you're always searching for something that's already here. So yeah, I think that's a great uh, theme to touch up on this interview for that. Yay, good, good, good. But yeah, exactly. That is the correlation. We put so much of these own pressures but then when you flip it towards the disability side think about someone who comes into a hospital setting who has a hearing impairment we have to wait an hour two hours to get an interpreter service you have to use your phone to try to to communicate with this person what if they have a limb difference and and you move their 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 uh, prosthetic away from them and they can't get up and now they have you have a fall risk right these things that we don't think about normally really impact people's lives and and the fact that we don't think about it in a way that what is normal because we think normal is one tunnel vision outlook it's what kind of hinders everything else expand your mind so yeah so so as far as your nonprofit, are you trying to create diversity in the workplace right now or are you trying to take more to the environment outside of uh, healthcare workplace and trying to create change there I'm trying to create change in an environment that does not necessarily mean healthcare. So as much as you may need extra assistance in going to the gym, that's fine. 
we have that present for you. You can ask for it and they know what they're doing, but you don't have to feel like you're going into a physical therapy center, particularly to work on something. Like you can go into the gym and work on anything you want. That's what, what our, our facility literally wants to create this, this sense of inclusion that you're welcome. It doesn't matter if you have a disability or you don't, you can come in and you can utilize our services along anyone else. Um, friends of mine, they have a restaurant here in New York called Contento. It's the, one of the number one restaurants uh, in the nation right now. It's literally two partners have physical disabilities and they made the space completely accessible. And now that we're all um, partnering together to make sure that we create this environment that is completely accessible in hospitality, we're giving you gym. Now we're giving you a, a restaurant. Now we're going to have places for you to be able to go socialize. That's completely accessible. Be able to go travel. I just went to Bali to figure out what accessibility looks like in a third world country and how we can get more people with disabilities into these countries and experience travel. Things that we don't normally wouldn't think to put someone on a 19 hour flight across the world when they have some type of chronic illness or disability, we ourselves as nurses are probably like, maybe you should take some breaks during that flight when we don't know what's going to happen. So we don't even encourage them. We just automatically throw out what we think is best. So yeah, it's, it's creating that inclusive atmosphere. How is, how are other countries treating disability? How does it compare to the United States when you travel to Indonesia? Nothing compares to the United States. I'm going to put that out there right now. As much as I gripe about the Americans with Disabilities Act being 32 years old and hasn't been retouched since 2008, um, I'm very happy to be an American-born person, especially after the Americans with Disabilities Act. The ADA only affects the nation so as much as we have come so far since 1990, we have so far to go. But what we have implemented so far is drastically different than Mexico, than the Bahamas, than, than um, Singapore, than Indonesia. And I mean drastically different. Accessibility looks so different in every country that you go to. And it's never by American standard, right? Because American standard is like the, the bar is set high. And then you have all of these other countries. And I'm not saying other countries don't have their bars high. It's just completely different sense of what is accessible versus what isn't. And you recently got your master's. You're going for your NP. You recently started a new career. You have a nonprofit. <laughs> First of all, what made you pursue the, the master's and an NP? And secondly, how do you do all this? Do you have like rocket boosters on your wheelchair? Or how, how do you manage all these things? <laughs> I have something called a smart drive. You guys should look it up. You know, you tap your hand and it literally boosts. No, um, I do have that, but uh, I do need a, a energy jetpack in the form of Red Bull. So, <laughs> I did just finish my master's degree in nursing education. Thank you for that. Uh, I start my NP uh, side in September. So my goal is to become a board certified NP and that's so that I can help my community. It's so hard for people to access primary care when they have physical disabilities and being able to maintain primary care. So becoming a board certified NP and being able to practice out in New York, I'll be able to help my community and getting them either the prescriptions they need, whether they need complex rehab technology uh, services and being able to get them those scripts. That's, that's the goal to be able to help my community grow and move forward. Um, so yeah, 
and then my new job. I am an assistant nurse manager. I've been there for a little over a year now, uh, up at a private non-for-profit uh, healthcare facility, primary care health. And that's where I got the idea to become an NP and go back and make sure that uh, my community has access to just primary care in general. And how do you yeah. how do you stay on point? How do you maintain all that? You have a lot of stuff going on. How can you handle doing all those things at once? You got a publicist and everything, uh, making, yeah, making moves. But how do you like keep track of that? Like how how do you how do you stay motivated and how do you just keep up with all with all this busy stuff you're doing? You know, when instead of uh, being motivated, I'm just really disciplined to get something done right? You you have to have that mindset. I have a big whiteboard. My dates are all f- scheduled in. Uh, my team, I do have a publicist now, uh, shout out to the Mic Drop Agency. And they they keep me on point. Without them, I, I, I don't know what, I don't, I think I would have been very late for this, <laughs> this recording. <laughs> but they, they're really, really good. And they keep me on point. And they're, they're allowing me to not have to focus so much on the scheduling and all the administration work and to just do what I do best go out and talk go out and teach go out and care and be the nurse that I want to be you ever thought about writing a book oh my goodness (laughs) maybe I don't know (laughs) I this thought process has just come up in my mind so I'm I'm on the fence about it because I don't like writing but yeah there may be a book in the works yeah you should do a book (laughs) and you should do an audible and you should read it okay <laughs> you're gonna put that out into the universe i'll take it for I'll sure wait for it to come back and I'll, I'll listen to it too reading yeah it takes you forever to read a book but listening i, I could down a few audibles no problem okay perfect <laughs> oh you're gonna be the first the first uh person i send it to yeah but i'll be upset if it's not you reading it i don't want somebody else i don't want your publicist reading it you gotta read it <laughs> i'll read it no worries that's the promise Andrea, are you still uh, working out and being active? I know like the last time we talked a year and a half ago, you were like working out and getting into the gym and growing some biceps. Yeah, so I haven't been working out as much as I should, but I am considering, and you'll hear it here first, I am considering doing my second New York City marathon. I think I'm crazy, but I also caught the marathon bug. So uh, a couple days ago, we did a 15-mile stroll, and it took me four and a half hours to get it done. Mm. Last year, I did 26.6 miles in six hours. So I have some work to do. (laughs) How long is a marathon? Uh, 26.6 miles. 26, damn. Yep. That's intense. I don't think I could do that. No way. I think you can. I think you can. Yeah, probably. I mean... don't feel like it. <laughs> he just doesn't feel like it, yeah. <laughs> we'll get you some, pre-work- yeah. pr- some pre-workout and, and, you know, some Red Bulls. Too, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. 100%. 100%. I'm going to be running it. I need you on a sideline. Just tossing me them every, every, like, two miles. Let's go, let's go, let's go. With, with a megaphone. Yeah, with yeah, a yeah. megaphone? <laughs> All the references from Mario Kart. I love it. Right. <laughs> Andrea, one last question we'd like to ask all of our guests. If you had the opportunity to have a cup of coffee with anybody one last time, who would it be and why? Ooh, a cup of coffee. I don't know who I said the last time. But uh, if it's different, it's different. I want to actually have coffee with my grandmother. I know that sounds crazy. Like, why go back? And I, you, my grandmother lived with me. She passed away about two years ago, right after the pandemic hit New York. Not that, not from COVID, but other complications. And I want to sit down, really pick her brain 
about what she was thinking as a child growing up in a third world country to be so loving and caring. My grandmother was was the lover and the care of the town. Everyone was getting bread. Everyone got socked. Everyone was cared for. Uh, they knew her as as the mom of the town. And in some ways, I kind of try to take what she represented to me and give that back to my patients as a nurse with this love and caring touch and the sense of just understanding and meeting you where you are and that's how my grandmother was so I'm going to take that cup of coffee with her to see like what got her to be so loving and so open and caring because I'm pretty sure in another life she was a nurse (laughs) would you say she's your role model or does anybody else stick out that's a role model for you I have a bunch of different role models but right now I'm my biggest one I am so happy to see where I've come and and how far I've gotten and sometimes I have to kind of sit myself down and say you've done a lot like don't think that your past is is just in your past like I have credibility now and and now other little women and and boys and girls and and everywhere anyone can see me and and grab some type of inspiration or grab some type of encouragement to face whatever obstacles that they're ahead of being that my story has been out there and helping them. Well, you've definitely inspired us last episode and this episode. It's a, yeah, like you're just, yeah, you have so much wisdom (laughs) and just, it's just crazy how much diversity you had and you've over overcame it all. And you're now you're trying to improve everybody else's life. Like it takes a very special human being to, to, to be you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And to hear that sometimes, you know, it's like it's hard to digest a compliment. But yeah, I'll take that one. <laughs> can you give us can, can you give yourself a pat on the back from the cup of nurses? Yes, I'm going to give that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Andre- Andrea, we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. It's been, yeah, just like pizza, very inspiring hearing how you found your voice and you're inspiring other people to do the same. So thank you for that. And I'm sure we will have you on again. Oh my goodness, round three. I'm already looking forward to it. Okay, guys. But no, thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. I love you guys. And this has always been a great talk. So yeah, I would love you too. Where can people find you real quick before we depart? Yeah, so all of my social media handles are The Seated Nurse. Go right on ahead and find me. And if you don't know, my name is Andrea uh, Dalzell, spelled D-A-L-Z-E-L-L. You can always just Google me. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you, Andrea. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye.